Welcome to Change the Narrative. I'm your host, J.D. Fuller, an African-American, licensed psychotherapist, professor, diversity coach, consultant, and author. We talk about the isms. We talk about the phobias, anything that marginalizes and oppresses. Everything we are not and everything we are is because of fear. Through a mental health lens, we'll have difficult conversations with celebrity guests, political activists, and everyone in between. Our mind will tell us whatever we want to believe, but the truth lives in the body, and that's where change occurs. Are you ready to change the narrative? Pam is a 57-year-old recovering 80s punk that has finally acknowledged she will never figure out what she wants to be when she grows up. She has been active in local politics, racial justice, and abortion rights since 1983 and has three grown children, 35, 32, and 25, who she says are far better people than I could ever hope to be. Pam grew up upper middle class in Austin and Seguin, Texas, and raised her oldest two children while on government assistance. She worked in corporate hotels for 12 years, IT for 10, and was a stripper for three. Pam says her life has been a wild ride, but the one constant is working to change our understanding of our history to the truth so we can navigate a better future that includes equity for every single person. Welcome to Change the Narrative with J.D. Fuller. Well, first of all, I already said this off air, but I'll say it again. It's so good to see you, Pam. Great to see you, too. I'm so happy to have you back. And I asked you already, but I want you to say again, how are you doing and what have you been up to? I'm doing really well. I've been traveling back and forth to Dallas a lot. I'm getting involved in things over there and trying to find my footing here, which is something I had never really fought for since I moved out here because I threw my hands up and said I didn't like East Texas. Well, I'm here. And so we're going to make some waves. I'm doing that, looking at, like I said, starting the podcast, just been busy, but you know, not as busy as I have been. I lost my job, but that's the way that goes. <laughs> yeah. Are you comfortable talking about that on air or would you yeah. rather not? Yeah, I can talk about okay. that. So just repeat the story that you told me because it's pretty upsetting. We were, I worked in the, I'm a paralegal by trade or by education at this point. And we were in a meeting and a senior paralegal used a racial slur for an indigenous woman. And after the meeting, I pulled her aside and said, hey, I don't think you know this, but that's a racial slur and you might not want to use that anymore. And within a week, I was gone. It's unbelievable that they would not thank you for doing what's right, but instead consequences for doing what's right. I'm really, again, I'm really sorry about that. I wish we were further along than we are. Clearly we are not. And Texas is (laughs) not here. Not anywhere, but really not here. Um, yeah. And, and there's so many good people here. There are some really fabulous people. And I get recognized because sure. whereas at one point in time, I used to hide my last name and because I didn't want it to fall back on my kids. That's my big thing. And right. I, I just at one point just went F it, right? And, and so my full name's my legal name's out there and where I live is out there. So I put location on things. And I've met so many wonderful people. Gives me a little bit of hope. Yeah, no, and you deserve that hope, particularly after that negative experience. I think it's interesting that, you know, there's so much privilege around fearing. And here, you know, right? Put your name out there, what's going to happen to you. And you move through that to get to the other side. And you see it's, it's not as bad as you feared. And here's the thing. If, if the threat is to lose your safety, you never had it. Okay. Now as a white person in this society, if the threat to you is that you're going to lose your safety, 
the love and support of your community or family. You never had it. If all you're doing is being you. I stand on that one. That's amazing. So let's talk, start talking about your most recent effort in uplifting marginalized voices on TikTok by passing the mic on your platform. Will you talk about that and explain what you did and what your process was? Well, I had, there's two ways that occurred. One was the 10K challenge last summer. And I had two accounts that were well over 10K. Um, I think Pazam 2000 was at almost 60 and PMIM 1313 was at 50. And I gave them both away to smaller black creators who had a very similar message to me that, that, and, and said a lot of the same things I did, but with a different dialect and a different face than mine. And, and I talked to them first and I was like, I want people to hear a message coming from the source. And I think you have an audience here that will hear you. And so one of them went to Mr. Bats and one of them went to um, uh, Brindo and I just totally spaced her name. That's okay. You can look it up and tell us at the end. But it, she goes by High Yellow Renegade and, and, and a lot of those. But I, God, I cannot, Mona, <laughs> I can see so I cannot think of it. And I wanted to be able to get them over that hump that is so hard for uh, Black creators to get over that 10K hump. Both accounts were in the creator fund for what that's worth. I think most of them made is 20 bucks. Yeah. And give it to them. And then after that, in rebuilding, it has just, been a constant series of getting banned. The same person that haunts Royal Star Kakai and gets him banned. He's on his 16th account in a, a year. Just hey, mass reports him. And, and he's got such a positive message. And he's just like, I want you white people to build healing centers, community where you can heal and support each other through it and all the rage and all of the I've been lied to my whole life. And what is that free fall feeling when you first realize that nothing is as you were told? And he's so supportive about it, but he's got one guy that keeps, keeps just absolutely tormenting him. And I've picked him up. And so I've gone through like six counts since then. So, you know, that's, uh, that's important what you did with passing the mic. I think it's in- incredibly um, important and it is also not done enough. And it becomes so easily economical for white-bodied people. You uh, know, it becomes, it can become a, a source of income or, yeah, not economical, uh, what do you call it? It can become income generating is what I meant yes. to say. And or notoriety uh-huh. for white-bodied people. And it is not the same for nope. brown and black body. So I think it's, I think it's really important. And I wanted to make sure we started with that. The thing I learned the most important though was about myself. And I learned okay. two things. One, that I am subject to that ego boost, that serotonin rush when people like what you say. And I get a good bit of it because people don't expect to come out of my mouth what comes out of my mouth because it's who I am, a middle-aged white woman. And I am just as subject to that and I have to watch it very carefully. But the most important thing I've learned, and it just happened this morning, is that when I go to say something, especially on racial justice, there is almost always a black voice already saying the same thing that I can yes. amplify. Wow, Pam. This is, uh, this is 
so amazing. I, I know I keep saying amazing, but it really is because this is one of the things I love about you is that you're very thoughtful and reflective and you challenge yourself to remain humble in the process, but also remember those that not only came before you, but, mm. you know, stood in front and handed it to you. Yeah. And I just really, really appreciate that you always do that and you do it consistently. Thank you. And I try and I did not do it. What month is Hispanic Heritage Month? You know, I'm bad with months. Don't I can't me. remember. But for, for Black History Month, I didn't post any original content. I reposted, right? And I do edit. Or I would do the whole tease stitch where you just tease a little bit and then say, yeah. oh, you can go, go watch it. But that, yeah. that's all I did for all of February. And I need to do that more. And I need to pay attention to Indigenous Month and Asian heritage and all that, because those voices are out there. Those, th right, those right. voices are there if, if we just pay attention. And we like people, when we interpret somebody else's voices, 99% of the time we get it wrong. Because there's nuance we'll never understand. We can't. We just can't. So when you think about these things and, you know, you really do have to humble yourself and you have to have a handle on your privilege in order to really be as thoughtful as you are about it. Is it, is it you just doing it with you or is there somebody else who's saying, you know, Pam, you got to check yourself? Both. Right. You know what I mean? Both. Okay. A lot of times it's me checking me. When I go to make a video, like I went to make one this morning and I went, I know somebody else is saying that. I know I, I just, I, or actually it was, in addition to something Crutches and Spies, who is wonderful black queer disabled creator, um, who I just mm -hmm. adore. And I was going to stitch her video of another student. It doesn't matter. And I realized I was just re-saying what she was already saying. And what was the point of that? Right? I, my voice doesn't, it doesn't amplify it in any way. Me saying the same thing she did. But I also have surrounded myself on purpose. And very carefully with people I trust. And so when they say, hey, what are you doing? You know, I've got an ego just like anybody. Somebody asked me the other day, have you ever doubled down when you were wrong and just, you know, kept going? I was like, yeah, there's a joke <laughs> in my family that goes like in the Himalayas on this one day of the year, when the sun hits at this angle in the small village at this many feet, mom wasn't wrong. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so, yeah, I doubled down. I, I screw up, but it doesn't last long. And the older I get, the less it lasts, right? The less I'm, I'm like, I mean, I keep going. And I've had my daughter call me and say, mom, what you, because she's, very active in the LGBTQIA plus community and she's gay and she will call me and say, mom, what you said, I know wasn't a slur in the eighties, but it is now take it down. And it's like, oh, it just immediately do. I mean, that's not hard. It's not hard. And then you just go, okay, don't use that anymore. That's fine. Yeah. It's not hard for you, but <laughs> I'm learning. Uh, I, <laughs> I don't get wanting to continue to navigate this world and hurt people. I just will never, I'll never understand that. I get it's uncomfortable, I guess, 
I, and she, I don't have a, and, and yeah. Kai and I talk about this and he says, it's uncomfortable for you guys, European Americans. It's unpleasant. And I'm like, okay, if you say so. And so many white people tell me it is, but I, I don't have that. I've never had that resistance. Now I used to be one of the women with so much internalized misogyny, right? I was, I was different. I drank whiskey and did car engines and cleaned up well, was a stripper, but still looked good, but not typical girl. So that whole thing. And I realized I was because I hadn't resolved and healed from my own sexual assault trauma. Mm. And when I was in the midst of that, when somebody would tell me their story around sexual assault, I especially, and this is, Honest white women, when we're white girls, would tell me I'd always tie dye them. And it took really? me healing my own denial of what happened to me to be accepting of what happened to them. Right. And I don't have that problem anymore. But I'm always on a constant quest of, okay, what is the next thing we need to deal with? Well, you know. Going through and dealing with my son's racial identity crisis was another one, right? Because that's my fault. His dad okay. wasn't involved. That's my fault. And you, you can go through the whole, I did the best I could, all that. It doesn't matter. Nobody's saying you didn't. But this is where we're at. And how are we going to work through it? Yeah, that's a very healthy approach. You know, you, you educate white bodies about the reality of white privilege. In one post, I have to defer to that, you bodied this one person who compared the indentured servitude of the Irish people to that of chattel enslavement. Can you please share how you responded and, and just share it? Yeah. Okay. I'm of Irish descent. I am adopted. I don't have, I've done my DNA. I am Irish. I don't have a genetic tie anywhere, which is very weird. And very unusual. But I did a bunch of research on my Irish history when I was younger because it was the one thing I had that I could cling to from, from my biological family. Indentures, I have no patience for it because the whole idea that Irish were slaves is nothing more than a white supremacist talking point in order to silence black voices when they talk about slavery. It doesn't exist for any other reason than that. There have been multitudes of Irish historians. There was a group of them that got together in 1992 and published a paper dispelling the idea that Irish were ever slaves. Not in Barbados, not on this continent, not really in Ireland under the English. It, you could argue that at some point in time, but, but not in the new world and with no comparison to chattel slavery. And it was a point that was created by, and I can't think of his name off the top of my head, an Irishman here in the 1500s, 1600s, that was trying to uh, argue for Irish independence. And he was a nobody, but it got picked back up in 92, 93 online in order to justify. And then you had the books, White Cargo, and they were white and they were slaves to Helen Barbados. All of these books that were written by these horrible, bigoted, racist people in order to try to minimize what enslaved Africans went through. But more than that, in this day and time, to silence the voices of those who want to teach an honest history of what it was. Because most Irish worked off their indentured nest and became slave patrol, slave owners, or, or, or police. 
that 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 was the path that that they took and then they turned into irish americans which irish don't like irish americans that standard oh. kiss me i'm irish drinking the green beer celebrating St. Oh, yeah, you know that. They, they don't and they're like and y'all were slaves stop it you know mm. but it is you know and it really is something you can watch the path of somebody being radicalized racially oh. by watching them go from that very quickly to i mean the first book in on all of that which was they were white and they were slaves was written by a holocaust denier who blamed the jews for chattel slavery wow so you know your your whole Argument is really nothing more than a red herring used to silence people that have something to say that makes you feel uncomfortable. And I have no patience for it. I try to be more patient and educate more calmly, but that one really gets to me because I know my history and I know what you know, my ancestors went through. No, and I, and I, you know, obviously I appreciate that. And, and I'm not going to lie. When you speak to white women, it warms my heart. Yeah, and, and I say that you know, it's not because I, I dislike white women or have any rage against them. It's just that you say it in a way that's just, it's so, it's just so honest and it's unapologetic. And I always appreciate that. So what do you think white women can specifically learn from you? Heal. Mm. Heal. And, and, and put the ego aside. Your children are entire human beings. They are not you and they are not your identity. I think a lot of white women, and we're kind of raised this or we are raised this way to grow up in this game of identity politics where image matters above all else, right? And so it becomes important what team your kid plays on, what position they play, what their grades are, where they, you know, where they go to school, all they got to do all the right things. And this is not just upper middle class. This, I, I saw this when we went, when my kids went to a school where we were on government assistance. You know, it's, did they play for the right coach? And this, it, it, it becomes the same thing, but it becomes this all encompassing thing. And that becomes their identity. And, and they have sacrificed that they are, you know, that whole got to do it all thing. Let that go because you're never going to do it. But the biggest thing is to listen, 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 listen. And hear people because if more than one person is saying it even if just one person is saying it it's got truth to it so don't qualify what everybody else says to you about an experience you've never had i can never begin to understand what it's like to be my son to be a black person in this country to be hispanic to be transgender i will never comprehend it no matter how much I may try. I will never comprehend. So why won't I listen? Well, one reason why one would not listen is to uphold patriarchy and white supremacy, ah. which <laughs> providing a lifestyle for them. And we're going to go full circle back to the beginning. If you are under threat of losing your security, safety, support, you never had it, so go make your own community to gather that from that is real, that won't threaten you every time you step out of line. Because if they're watching to see if you are in line, they're not supporting you. Mm, it, good and, stuff. 
and it's not scary. It's, I get very crushed and so scary. Well, I didn't have a choice. I was who I was. I don't know how it is to make a choice. If I have increased stepping into myself, the older I have gotten and the more comfortable I've gotten, but I never really felt I had a choice. I never wanted to, you know, I was always who I am. So I wish white women would let go of the fear and understand that privilege doesn't mean somebody gave you a box of freaking money at some point in your life or a road on easy street. It just <laughs> means that you generally don't have to worry if you're going to get shot if you get pulled over by the police. You don't have to stifle. Yeah, somebody said in one of my posts, White privilege is you don't panic and look in the rearview mirror to see if the cop turned around to follow you. Well, yes, I do. I think that's fairly normal. I don't have to fight my fight or flight reflex in order to get through a traffic stop, right? Yeah. I don't have to suppress this fear of not surviving just to get through a common interaction. And white women are so the right to comfort, and it, it, I always come back to all the pillars of white supremacy. The white to com the right to comfort is the one that I hate trips us up the most because we are so indoctrinated that these systems, and even people that are activists and say they're anti-racist and fighting, we are so indoctrinated into these systems to believe that they are there to protect us, mm. right? And that is our right to comfort that we are safe somehow. Mm. And yeah, if, you can let, if you can let that go and realize that we've got to take care of each other, that's what we've got, right? And fight to change. This idea of fear that's so deeply embedded in a privileged community is sadly so connected to capitalism and all the cat rings. When you talk about don't be afraid, it's not a, a visceral fear. Right. It's more like, what am I not going to have that somebody else is going to get? In so other words, it's, it's, it's an inconvenience and yeah. you're making it into a fear. Right. It's, it's what are right. my neighbors going to think? Your neighbors that you don't like and talk shit about other days. What is my job? Am I going to lose my job? Guess what? You were looking for one when you found that one. It'll be all right. You know, it, the, the, the things that we say we fear are so inconsequential. They really, truly are. And capitalism devours all of it, right? Because if it, the police want to continue to grow, so they want to continue to absorb money, so they keep creating a need for themselves, mm -hmm. right? And we just feed into that, and we cannot seem to accept the fact that it's getting worse for everybody. Yeah, but that's the thing. Yeah, that's the thing right there. We're all suffering. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's not a, a suffering competition. We all have our own version and it's important to, you know, understand that I, I'm not going to really sit and try to compete with a no. white bodied person about what's happening in, you know, against my community or towards my community. But I'm also not going to say you don't have your own challenges. Sure. I think that that's insensitive and, and unempathetic. What do you still want to learn and how do you continue to learn? <laughs> I want to relearn how to speak Spanish. I actually spoke Spanish before I spoke English. Really? Yeah. Oh, oh, you're going to make me tell this story. 
I, until I was four years old, we lived in El Paso and I had a nanny. This is actually a pretty good story. Who Carmen was her name. And she would come across from, come across the International Bridge every Sunday night. And she would go back every Friday night. And I loved her. I loved her so much. And I would sit on the counter and eat masa at raw masa, which, <laughs> uh. but I adored her. And I spoke Spanish before I spoke English. It wasn't until I was much older that I put two and two together that she was leaving her own family in Mexico every week to come take care of me. Wow. And that was a gut punch. That was a gut punch. But I adored her. Yeah, and I spoke Spanish before I spoke English, and I, I can't even cuss you out anymore. I could cuss you out in high school, but I can't do that anymore. I want to... There's so much I want to learn. Like, I really would love to go to law school just to do it, but I'm not willing to take on that debt to do it. I want to... My big thing this year is to travel and, and protest. Right. My, my husband was very sweet. And even though I lost my job and my car died, my 06 Saab finally died or 08 Saab. And we went to Dallas one weekend and he just bought me a new car. It's going to eventually be my daughter's. And if I start getting some income, we'll get something else. But I want to go and talk with people. And I want to go up to Oregon and meet Kakai in person. I want to, there's so much I want to do and it involves people. The only thing that really drives me, I look for a job. I look for a job every day. I do not dream of labor. That is just not something that has ever been like, oh, got to go make that dollar. So it's people. And I really want to get out and meet people. I I keep making the joke on TikTok that I want to have a giant slumber party. You know, and have (laughs) everyone. I meet so many people that I just love but they're too far away to ever meet right that's awesome i've missed that one and i watch a lot of what you post so i have a question for you do you think it's possible for white bodies to move from denial through empathy i mean sorry from denial through sympathy past allyship to something that's more productive in the outcome of where we are so i think i think that the you know the, the 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 conversation about the you know, extreme liberal who lives with this sympathy and white guilt, right? For the, yeah, pity, right? And so this whole hierarchical position of, you know, it's so sad what's happening to you. And it's not productive like empathy. It's actually just sympathy and pity, like you said. Yeah. I'm sure you think they can move past that to get through. Let's just, just get through the allyship. It's, it's just not really a productive thing. To something that actually will produce an outcome that benefits us all. Do you think that's possible in our lifetime? I think it's possible on a one-on-one basis in our lifetime. Whether we'll see it in mass. I love Kakai's idea. When he talks about racial healing centers for white people, he's not talking about a building, right? You know, with beds and all of that. He's talking about support groups to help each other process. That's a great idea. It's not going to be real popular until we can... Get past this fear that has just consumed the kind the indulgence of fear since Trump was elected. Okay. It's this mm-hmm. indulgence of fear because there was a point in time where it wasn't getting better, but it was getting less popular. 
right? Mm, okay. And I do believe that people, the more they say something, it changes them, right? And when you're part of a group that keeps saying the same hateful things, eventually you believe the hateful things, right? The, the, the yeah. cult mentality. I think that all of that is very possible, probably not in our lifetime. And I think the biggest trick is ally. I hate, you've heard me say this a million times. Me I too. hate the term ally because it assumes this higher position. That, and I hate the phrase hand up too. You know, mm. give somebody a hand up or a leg up. And it's like, oh, you're assuming I'm in a power position or I am better than Right. And, and it also assumes you want to get to where I am, mm. which okay. most it, it does not allow for equity in any form. Right. You know, it, 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 it frustrates me. I think the big thing is when charity has become capitalized, right. You know, for 35 cents a day, you can help this puppy that's going to die if you don't. Right. And the, the guilt, it guilt becomes a guilty pleasure for white people. Yeah, yeah we feel bad. So we're going to send money. We're going to push a button, but we're not going to do anything. We're not going to do any self-exploration. We're not going to do any accountability. And we're going to scream and yell about our children having to do it in school. So I don't have a lot of hope for it happening in mass, but I have a group of five women here that I meet with once a week and we talk. And I don't think I'm in a position to help them, but we help each other. Oh, and, that's great. And try to get through the idea that we are the center or the ideal, right? And it's like, if we're the ideal, we're all fucked. <laughs> oh, fan track me up. I mean, we <laughs> arrived on Turtle Island and probably destroyed a very self-sustaining balance system, right? in order to grow some shit that we don't even use. <laughs> oh, man. I so, swear, I can listen to you. No lies. Go ahead, finish your but, but Yeah, so if we're the ideal, we're screwed, right? The big thing I've been on lately is is talking about reparations and people just do not like that discussion. They flip the country. It'd be so good for our economy. It wouldn't be good for the elite, but it would be so good for our economy, the money flowing through small businesses, the money flowing through our communities, the growth in small businesses. It would be amazing for our country. I agree. Yeah. Did you see that show that Dr. Phil did the other day? I can't stand him. That show he did the other day on reparations. Exploit reparations. You're exploiting something we deserve by making it a controversial topic on your yep. ridiculous show. Did you see so the one where he had the, I think she is Indian and the black woman that have the round table with the white women and the black oh, ladies. Yes. And, and yeah. he's talking to them and he's like, you're trying to be shocking, right? You're trying to be aggressive. And it's like, okay, the one thing your staff should have told you is don't use aggressive when you're talking to a black woman. And it has so many connotations. You don't, just don't. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah not, the yeah. reparations thing drives me nuts. Dr. Phil makes me want to Me too. I I'm so glad your eyes appeared. Oh, I know. He's the he's the psychologist, the, the psychology side of Dr. Oz. I mean, he's yeah. not even a psychologist anymore, is he? Or was he ever? I don't no. even remember. No, he wasn't really a psychologist, but anyway. Um, I appreciate that your perspective. 
So I want to ask you one harder question before I lighten up so we can wrap up today. Okay. You know, the mass shootings, the school shootings. Yeah. Give me a visceral response to that because it's so painful. Bewilderment. I don't understand how not only do we not do anything about it, but we weaponize public's desire to do something about it against black men in Congress. How does that happen? Right? I, I am bewildered. My life, my dad was on campus when Walt Whitman shot up the University of Texas campus. Oh, wow. I have, I had, there was a school shooting in my junior high in Austin. A student kept, brought a gun in, shot and killed his teacher. The high school wow. where my son went to was the high school in Mansfield where there was a shooting. My daughter and her partner were sitting in their apartment when the neighbor was cleaning their gun and the AR-15 went off and the bullet lodged in the back of the chair her partner was sitting in. These, and I could not be more average. It should not touch our lives this much, right? And for us to continue to say it's not a gun problem, not a gun problem, it's a people problem. And then we want to label violence as a symptom of mental illness, which really then only gets weaponized against the black and brown communities, right? Because white people are just mentally ill. Look, they just had a bad day and you shot up a top supermarket while he was hitting black people. It was a bad day, right? Mm-hmm. And so that gets weaponized. And then you have things like what happened on the New York subway that yesterday or day before with Jordan Neely. Yes. And it, 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 this entire idea this country has that weapons are more, and my state's the worst. I mean, it's the worst when it comes to gun laws. And you come out of the Uvalde and then you turn around and you reelect Greg Abbott. How does that happen? I don't have words. I don't, I, I am bewildered. I am heartbroken. I can't imagine the pain of losing your child at school. I can't. I, I I heard stories from my mother from the school shooting that happened at my school, and we didn't have the blast on the radio and and and, and, and text to come in. And all the parents, as they heard, went to the school, and we were locked in, and they wouldn't let us use. You know, you had payphones at that point in time. They wouldn't let us use the payphones, and 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 finally, I just left and found my mom. Oh, the kid who shot and killed his teacher did six months in. A- private mental institution and there's now an attorney in Austin. His dad what? was one of LBJ's press secretaries. On that note, we're going to shift gears to something else. That's, that says it all for me. Mm-hmm. I saw you pose this question, so I wanted to ask you, what's a single lyric from a song that changed your life? Did they get you to trade your heroes for ghosts? Your heart mm. Hot air for a cool breeze. Did you give your walk-on part in the war for a lead role in a cage? Wow, that's good. That's really good. Okay, Pam, first of all, uh, where can everybody find you now? I am on Pam Still Won't Shut Up on TikTok. There is also Pam Won't Shut Up. And there is also now a new one, Pam Won't Ever Shut Up. I have my YouTube channel up. There is one of Kakai My Lives. Um, on there, I'm in the process of getting the others up there. When we start doing our podcast, it will be there. That is Pizam 2000. 
I am on Instagram as Pazam2000 or PMIM3. I need to unify names. I really got to unify names. I keep getting banned, and every time I think I'm going to unify the names, like I'll lose another account, and I'm like, ah. But the big ones are going to be YouTube, because that's going to start expanding t- soon, and TikTok for the time being, and in Instagram. I have a Twitter. I don't. Twitter. I, 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 I the, the app, absolutely. I, I'm like, what? I'm like, Where did it all go? I'm launched. So, right, right. I understand. And other than that, then every Friday night at 5 p.m. Pacific time and 7 p.m. Central time, uh, Royal Star Kakai and I do a live together where we try to talk about racial healing and, and, and all of these things we've talked about. How do you get past this point of, I want to help other people to we all fucking need help. Let's figure this out, right? And I'm not talking about the I don't see color kind. I'm talking about, okay, well, what's wrong? Let's fix that. You know, who's blatant triage, right? What, 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 where, where do we need to put the attention and, and how do we help each other? And that's always really enlightening. He's a joy of a person to be around. Matter of fact, we had Zach on last week is our guest who you did an episode with Zach recently. And he's a super nice guy. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I like Zach a lot. Okay, so what do I say, Pam? I think, you know, keep being you. That's what I say. Keep being you. I I appreciate your voice. I get a kick out of you. And <laughs> you, you truly have one of the biggest hearts that I've ever known. And I think that's the thing that's most special about you is that you know, it, it comes from a really sincere place for you, caring about others. And as a fellow empath, that, that means the most to me. So please Thank keep you. sharing your points and thanks for coming back to hang out with me. Anytime, anytime. <laughs> and I will keep following you and keep listening to the other guests you have because I learned so much from them. And you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Take care, okay? All right. You have a good one. You do. Bye. Please be sure to like, subscribe, and follow wherever you get your podcasts. And also, leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Thank you for listening to Change the Narrative with J.D. Fuller.